0: Well, today we're going to look at the body of Christ. We're going to look at the family of God. And in many ways, the family of God is like our personal families, or should be. Or our personal families, to flip it, should be like the family of God, shouldn't they? As we look at verses 15 to 23 today, Paul is remembering in verse 15 what Pastor Mike went over last week all of the blessings in Christ. And because of those blessings, verse 15, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Paul is talking to the Ephesian Christians here. If you remember in Acts 20, verses 36-38, Paul's last visit before going to Jerusalem and going to prison was with the Ephesians. He said goodbye to them on the beach. It says, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all and they began to weep aloud and they embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they were accompanying him the ship now here on earth they would not see him again they would see him again where in heaven wouldn't they but he loved them much and because of Paul's love that he modeled for them look what it says here in verse 15 he's heard of the faith that they have in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints these begin Paul's prayer in verses 15 to 23. That prayer starts off with two thanks. Thanks for their faith and thanks for their love. That love that he saw in that church is the same love that God wants us to have here for one another at Calvary Chapel. It's the same love that I've watched the last three months as we lost two brothers who've served faithfully here it's the love i watched this body as they enwrapped miss kim and miss pat in 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 love they bought meals they sat there with them 24/7 at the hospitals um, we saw people donate uh, money um, we saw people come in with drinks and just completely take care of things at home take care of the dogs you know all the things that need to be done I got to watch here at our church. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was the body of Christ working together, loving each other, and helping each other during a difficult time. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to be His body. He wants us to serve one another and love each other as we would want to be loved if we were in those same circumstances. And because of what He sees in the Ephesian church, that this, in fact, is happening. Paul can't stop giving thanks. Verse 16, he doesn't cease giving thanks for them while making mention of them in his prayers. Of course, we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 how are we to love each other? How are we to, to actually flesh that out? How are we to do that? Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous. It does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. That is the type of love that we need to have for one another to have each other's backs, to come through for one another when times are tough, when something great happens that we rejoice with one another to encourage one another and to enter in the joy that, that we have when something good does happen in our lives. That is the love that he sees in the Ephesian Christians. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. John 13.35 says by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So those that don't know Christ as they look on our lives, and as they see us, and they see our church, as they look on, they should be drawn to Christ, because we're doing this the right way, because we're loving each other, because we're serving each other, because we're loving, because we've been first loved, haven't we? And we're so overwhelmed with his love for us, that we can love one another, Now, if you notice here Paul's prayer, it's a great example for us. He does not cease giving thanks for them. He prays without ceasing. The Holy Spirit is bringing them to mind over and over and over. That happened to me this week. I was over at Lexington Medical Center visiting someone in the hospital, and as I parked, I noticed Mr. Hamp Kaufman, a friend of mine who... um, is uh, one of those guys in the community that uh, has been there seems like forever he's 92 his brother raymond is 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 a twin and i remember when i did a roof for them one time they came in to pay me and they both came in with their canes hobbling in to my door and they came in right when i was done and they, they came by like within hours and wanting to pay pay which is very rare for customers to want to pay that quickly but they were so sweet and kind to me. It's when I first went into business. And those guys, over the years, have been a blessing to this community. Um, Raymond, I think, used to be the president of Lexington State Bank before it was BB&T. Uh, Raymond and then Hamp worked as a real estate agent and actually helped us. Miss Heidi said before, between the services, that, that he actually helped us get this land and he went to bat for us, didn't he, when we didn't have the money? Heidi, is that what you said? We were just a young church of about 60 people. We didn't have a financial statement yet. Yeah. Being able to back up. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hamp uh, is a special friend. A few years ago, his son his grandson thomas was over in iraq and was killed and after his wife died he took me in the house a few years ago he said dan i want to show you something he brought me in and he showed me tommy's picture and the tank that he had been in and uh the name on the tank was resurrection and uh he uh loved to show he says dan that's not all he i want to show you something else he showed me a picture of his uncle's tank. And he had also been killed in a tank years and years ago. And guess what the name was on that tank? Resurrection. Resurrection. So the Lord even works in our lives sovereignly, doesn't he? Even in the small details to remind us of his great love for us, even in the midst of tragedy. Well, Hample's getting out of his Jeep, and I helped him walk up to his brother, Raymond's room, and his, his brother's in heart failure right now, Raymond. So please pray for him. Maybe you can pray for him with me. But the Lord just keeps him to mind over and over. He called me last night. We were coming back from Charleston at night, and he called me. He said, Dan, please continue to pray for my brother. So when the Lord lays something on your heart and keeps cease without ceasing, you need to just keep lifting it up. When the Holy Spirit brings it, just keep lifting them up, lifting them up, lifting them up to the Lord. So That's what Paul's doing here in verse 16. He's giving thanks for them for their faith and for their love that they have for all the saints. We need to do that as well. We need to rejoice when people come to faith in Christ. I remember going out the back door one day and Pastor John says, Dan, he said, did you see that guy that stood up today to receive Christ that was over here in the section? I said, "Uh, yeah, I saw him. He says, man, we've been praying for him for 10 years. Ten years we've been praying for him to come to Christ. He's been battling with alcohol and different things, but he stood up today. And we want to rejoice when people come to Christ. They were rejoicing. Paul was rejoicing in their faith and the love that they had for each other. So he makes mention of them in his prayers, verse 16, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? The Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Our God is a God of great glory, brothers and sisters. He exists in glory. He has been manifested in the past in all of His glory. And we, as we go to heaven, will see that glory firsthand. Amen? Amen. We'll see it firsthand. Now, he's praying that God would give them a spirit. Now, this word probably should be capitalized. It is in many translations. The spirit, okay, of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, wait a second. They already have faith and they're full of love. Why would they need to have wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. They already know him, right? They already know about him. They know those things that he had taught them about the faith. This knowledge is not a general knowledge, Genosco. It's epigenosko. It's a specific knowledge. It's knowing him intimately and personally that it speaks of here. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now look at Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. If you would flip over, keep your place, flip over to Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. If you're there say amen. All right, many will say to me on that day, this is the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The crux of our relationship with God is not knowledge alone. It's actually an intimate relationship where he knows us and we know him. We need to make sure that we know him, make sure that it's not just an intellectual knowledge, that it goes from here to the mind to the heart, where actually we know Him intimately, that we know Him personally. And this is what Paul is praying for here in verse 17, that the Holy Spirit will give them that wisdom of revelation and the knowledge of Him. It's taking all of the facts, and wisdom is applying the facts, isn't it? You can be smart and know a lot of things, but it's how to apply them is where wisdom comes in. And this is where Paul is relying on the Holy Spirit, is relying on the Holy Spirit to teach us, to help us, to reveal to us that knowledge of Jesus that is intimate. This is the same knowledge we see that Moses had in Exodus 33, verses 8 through 11. He would go in, with God each day. And it says, And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to a friend. Moses knew God. Jacob also knew God in Genesis 28 verses 16 through 17. He'd explain, he he cried out, Surely the Lord is in this place after his dream, where God met him and showed him that staircase, that ladder to heaven, if you remember. Jacob knew about God, but knew God intimately at this point, and actually said, Okay, God is my God, God is speaking to me, and he worshipped him. It's the same knowledge Job wanted in Job chapter 23 verse 3. Oh that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. Job gets his answer in Job 42 verses 5 and 6. I have heard of you by hearing, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see, sees you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. It's a personal relationship we see. All of these folks come to a point where they realize that God is not just somebody that's out there that was daddy's God, mama's God, grandmama's God. God is my God. God is working on my behalf. And hey, this is the real deal. Paul goes on in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? Brothers and sisters, there's no doubt in these verses, Paul is pushing us to a different level. He wants us to go beyond the infant level. Infants drink what? Milk. He wants us to get beyond the milk and he wants us to go deeper. He wants us to dig deeper. He wants us to grow in our wisdom, our knowledge of him, in our relationship with him. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. The writer to the Hebrews shows us exactly what it means to go from being a baby to a mature Christian. Look what he says here. He actually begins by a a rebuke. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes, only of milk, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But, verse 14, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good from evil. If there's any time in history the church needs the ability to discern good from evil, it's now. We live in an evil, wicked age It's only getting worse by the day. And we need to know how to discern good from evil, don't we? We need to know when we have something come in front of us, whether it's TV or movies or music or whatever it is, whether it's good or whether it's evil. I remember years ago an elder at another church was speaking to me and he confessed to me, he says, Dan, I don't think I have the gift of discernment. He said he was continually making the wrong choices based on the things that were happening. Well, that's not a good thing. A mature Christian needs to know how to react to the circumstances that are in front of him, whether you're a new Christian who's a teenager and you're going to school tomorrow and you're going to have things come in front of you and you're going to have to make a decision whether to, to do this or to do that, whether that is good or whether, it's, or whether it's bad. We need to know how to make those decisions. And mature Christians will make those decisions. This is the spirit, the wisdom the Spirit wants to give us, brothers and sisters. This is the knowledge He wants us to learn. Not just to know, but to apply. Amen? So he's praying that their heart may be enlightened with these things so that you Ephesians will know what, it the, what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Let's look at the next phrase. The hope of his calling. We cannot live without hope. I serve with the homeless veterans on Thursday nights and they are there because those 60 or 70 men have nobody on the face of this earth to take them in who will house them. Okay, two miles from here. They, many of them have, and they say it all the time, no hope. When you lose hope, you lose everything. You need hope. John Hoppy has the best definition I've ever heard on hope. I love it. Hope is the expectation of coming good. It's just believing that something good is going to come your way, that something good or blessed is going to happen on your behalf. And brothers and sisters, we have been given hope. We are those not only who have been given hope, but our hope is not as the world's hope. I hope it will happen. It may or may not. Our hope is an assured hope a hope that will happen because God has promised it to us and God will never let us down. Amen? Amen. If you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Mike shared an illustration of a lady in New York and who took her own life. Do you remember that, a young lady? Do you remember what she said about hope? She said, hope is nothing other than deferred disappointment. Deferred disappointment. That is the world we live in, brothers and sisters. Murphy's Law rules. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong, but that is not us. Amen? We have been given hope. Not only that, God is working in the circumstances of our lives, the circumstances of our days. We are a blessed people because God is our God, and we are His children, His sons, and His daughters the hope that we have in Christ is a sure hope and look what it says the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints this is one of the most beautiful phrases in the entire bible right here and a lot of the commentators miss this some of the better ones pointed it out as i studied guys this isn't the inheritance we have in Christ that we have in God, this isn't what we're getting. Guess what this is? It's what he's getting. Look what he's getting. He's getting the riches, he calls us riches, riches of the glory of his, God's inheritance in the saints, in us. That is amazing. You catch that? God looks on us, even in our brokenness, our sinfulness, our unworthiness, when we are washed in the blood of Christ, when we are brought to a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become riches to Him. We become His inheritance. We are, he is looking forward to us being there with Him. Do you get that? Is that not amazing? I mean, does that not affect your self-esteem? I mean, this self-esteem vacuum, I mean, if you're struggling with your self image, does this not encourage you that we are his inheritance? Even in all of our broken mess, he is doing his work in our lives. He promises that, and he promises to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That, brothers and sisters, is amazing. That is amazing. So we are his inheritance. And, verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are working in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Verse 19. Guys, this verse 19 says that his power toward us, this momentum, because we're his inheritance, that it is. The Greek word is hyperbolo. It's way past. It's super. It's mega. It's great. It's, it's, it's beyond anything we can imagine. It's surpassing greatness. That power that he has on our behalf, working for us, working life out for us, is beyond anything that we know in this world. Now, there's a lot of strong and mighty things in the world in which we live. I noticed a graph On the computer that showed what people can bench. It started in the 300s years ago, decades ago. You know what it is now? Does anybody in here know how much somebody can bench on a bench press now? 1,075 pounds. You believe that? 1,075 pounds. The most powerful car in the world right now, production car, is the Bugatti Chiron of 1,479 horsepower right off the showroom floor. Strongest locomotive in the world is over in China in a mine. 19,310 horsepower. It's about two and a half to three times what goes by here on Wednesday nights. The greatest atom bomb, the greatest uh, nuclear bomb in the world is 3,800 times bigger than the one we dropped on Hiroshima. 3,800 times bigger. These are powerful things. But a, but compared to God's power, compared to the power that he has that's working on our behalf, they're nothing. They don't even compare. God's momentum for us, God's work and power toward us, is immeasurable, he's saying here. It's super, hyper great, that power that he has. And I tell you, when you couple that with Romans 8.28, and I didn't write it in the notes for Noah to put up there, but Romans 8.28, for God causes all things to work together for our good. For those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose, when you think of that power working for us, it's pretty, pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. That power, that surpassing power, or working again in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God demonstrated that power when he raised Jesus and took that dead body And raised it right back to life again. And then seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Christ is preeminent. There's no one that's higher. No one that's greater than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on this earth, who lived with us, who was raised to life eternal. He is far above all rule and authority. That means every ruler on the face of this earth. Also every power and dominion. I think he's also thinking here of those in the heavenly realms, which are, this, or Satan himself and then all his demonic realm, we learn from Daniel, they're operating geographically in regions, they're organized, there's a pecking order, you've got those who are in charge, those who are lesser, you can see that clearly in the book of Daniel, and Christ is above all of this. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He will reign forevermore, and all those who are against him will fail. And, verse 22, He put all things, God, and He, God the Father, put all things in subjection under His, Jesus, feet, and gave Him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is His body, Jesus' body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. Turn to Colossians 1:19, Colossians 1:19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Again, talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see this fullness here in verse 22 and 23. We see it again in Colossians 1:19. Flip over to Colossians 2:9, a page over. "For in him Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form." Flip over to Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 four thirteen. God is let's go up to verse eleven and give some context. He gave some as apostles and this shows how we're to operate in the body of Christ. Some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of of the Son of Man, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs, again, look, to the fullness of Christ. We, brothers and sisters, the Bride of Christ, are, as we work together, love one another, care for one another, serve one another, are filling up and are the fullness of Christ. God's church is the fullness of of Christ we are his body y'all if we know him we will love him and we will serve him won't we isn't that true if we know him and we really do know him not just know about him but really know him personally we will love him because he loves us first he loved us first, didn't he? But then we'll also serve him, which is serving each other and helping one another, is helping serve our children, serve our young folks, serve our teenagers, serving each other in here in the body of Christ. John also talks about this. If you'll turn to John 1, 15 through 16, we'll finish up. John chapter 1. Verses 15 and 16. John testified, I'll let you get there first. John chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Okay, it's up here. Good. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of, verse 16, his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. Y'all, we perceive ourselves to lack things as we go through life. We want more of something. Now, sometimes we see that, we try to fill it in an idol of the land. You know, it could be, I just got to have that. If I get that, then I'll feel better. If I just get that house, or I get that car, or I get that truck, or I get that boat, or I'm able to get that job, or that promotion, or whatever it is, but y'all, the fullness that he's talking about here is spiritual fullness. It's learning to be content in all circumstances. It's the fullness of Christ. It's his fullness that we've received in John 1, 16. Of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you gave and saved the Apostle Paul, Lord, to demonstrate for us, Lord, how to love. Lord, he demonstrated in loving the Ephesians. And Father, thank you for loving us and giving us one another. Lord, I just prayed that we would each serve one another and love one another. Father, that we would realize how precious we are to you. God, that you have saved us, that you have raised us up, Father. That, Father, your Holy Spirit is a down payment. It's a deposit. He lives inside of us, Lord. He's making us more like you. He's teaching us. He's convicting us. He's comforting us, Lord, as we struggle. Father, you have saved us to an amazing salvation. And we praise you. And we thank you, God. We love you so much, God. Father God, I just pray that you'll go out with my brothers and sisters this week. Strengthen them. Help them, Lord, when they encounter persecution, temptation. Help them to overcome. Help them to realize the power that you are working in and through them. Through your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we long to be with you. I praise you, Father, that we will be with you soon. We give you all the glory and all the praise, all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.